The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. For close to a century, women have more than held their own in the male-dominated industry of sports entertainment. There's your winner, Mae Young. Matt Mavens, like Mae Young, helped shatter the proverbial glass ceiling, inspiring generations who would blaze a path. It's a blaze for sure! Taking their preternatural skills to unprecedented heights. All or nothing of the moonsault! Leading to a revolution in the women's division. What a sight! A groundbreaking moment! The celebration of a new era in WWE. The greatest era of women's wrestling of all time. Now, for the first time in history, 32 women from all over the globe take their rightful place in the spotlight. Celebrating the legacies of those who have paved the way while showcasing their modern-day virtuosity. Tonight... These 32 competitors vie for all the glory, the honor, and the prestige of winning the inaugural May Young Classic. WU2M proudly presents to you the May Young Classic. And here's your host, Paul Leeser, Harry Broadhurst, and Patrick Ketza. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wrestling Unwrapped to the Max's coverage of the May Young Classic. Uh, here, talking about the finale and some other great stuff. I am your host, Paul Leeser, joined by always. Wow, joined as always by the usual suspect, Harry Broadhurst. Okay, uh, if you don't listen to the SmackDown and Two Hundred Five Live reviews, you won't get that joke. But trust us, it's funny. It's there. Uh, and uh, the man without a nickname, Patrick Ketza. <laughs> Okay, but is, is it the man with? Isn't the man without a nickname technically a nickname? Kind of like no so. gimmicks needed for Chris Candido. For, if you're going to Candido me, then yes, I guess it is. <laughs> I'm absolutely glad to be compared to Candido. So screw you guys. I was just Rest trying to be Chris. God, uh, <laughs> absolutely though. So uh, glad these not. are done after tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Paul can't wait to get rid of us. Five episodes <laughs> too long, if you ask. Oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We're, of course, brought to you by uh, W2Mnet.com, 411mania.com, and last word on ProWrestling.com. Uh, all those great places have us up there, as well as other great podcasts. Um, well, I know W2Mnet has all of our great stuff. I don't know if 411mania puts up any of our extras or not. But that's besides the point, because Apple and Stitcher and YouTube and iHeartRadio and all these other great places do. Uh, so hats off to those cats. And uh, we got a fair bit to talk about. I don't know how long exactly it's going to take us to talk about do it. Do we? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Uh, obviously on Monday night they did that preview for uh, the final that took place this evening, uh, at least when we're doing the show. I'm sure a lot of you guys are listening on Wednesday or Thursday or whenever, but uh, 
they featured a six-woman tag team match on that show. Uh, Jazzy Gabbard, Tessa Blanchard, and uh, Kaylee Ray taking on Marty Bell for some god-awful reason. Uh, teaming up with Sarah Logan and uh, uh, Santana Garrett. Can't believe I almost forgot her. Well, if it's any consolation, Marty did not suck nearly as much in this match as she did in her first round match. It is true. Thankfully, she's only in there getting murdered most of the time, which I was completely okay with. <laughs> 100% agreed. I, I I was okay until she barely landed on her damn head. Yeah. Eh, nothing lost. <laughs> Wow. I didn't want to condone somebody dying, but <laughs> Um I do believe if we're if we're handing out nicknames, uh Marty's nickname in this match would be the sacrificial lamb. Yes. Definitely. I should mention that, that of course ja- uh Jazzy's team ends up winning after Jazzy decides to finally uh murder Marty with the Alpha Slam. It wasn't Marty, it was Santana. Santana, my bad. She murdered somebody, that's the point. No, no, it was Marty. It was Santana. Uh, it was Santana. She, it caught was Marty. Sant- she caught Santana on a cross-body block attempt, put her up in her shoulders in a Canadian back- in a uh, power slam lift, turned it into a Canadian backbreaker rack, and then brought her down with the Dominator. It was Santana. I could have sworn it was Marty, because that's who I noticed almost fell on her head. No, it was Santana. She threw Marty aside to catch Santana. Go back and rewatch the broadcast. How do you forget something you watched less than 24 hours ago? You tell me. You do it all the time on our show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, that's fair actually. I can I don't really have a comeback for that. <laughs> I forgot. Sorry. But anyways, um, you know what? The, obviously, the big story here's got to be that crowd reaction. Yeah, we had heard stories about this match being taped back in July when they did the original May Young Classic tapings and stuff. And yeah, for those of you that don't know, this tournament was taped all the way back in July. Mm-hmm. That they did a six woman tag on night two to kind of break up some of the monotony between the rounds in order to give the women some recovery time before their next matches. I think that this match aired between the quarterfinals and the semifinals, if memory serves correctly. That being said. We had all heard about the the incredibly loud crowd reactions to Jazzy Gabbard. We were wondering if this match made air, rather those crowd reactions would stay in the match. It turns out not only did they stay in there, they may have even been amplified a little bit. That crowd was loud for Jazzy for this entire contest. Mm -hmm. And she was about the only one they were loud for. Which I feel kind of iffy about. Granted, yeah, I mean, this was absolutely the Jazzy Gabbard show, you know, far and away. Um, but when it comes to the fact that you start booing her tag team partners, then I kind of have an issue with that. Granted, yes, Jazzy absolutely looked like a billionaire, and love to see her get signed in dominant heel, even though the crowd absolutely loves her. But I wasn't a fan of booing her tag team partners. Granted, I can take booing Tessa Blanchard, but... I was about to say, isn't that your M.O. down there, Shimmer? <laughs> well, I was going to say to that, though... <laughs> it's, a, it's a different I, Tessa down, down up... Or I should say up at see, Shimmer, so she deserves it. 
<laughs> so I guess I can kind of see where Patrick's coming from there, especially when her tag team partners are as talented as Tessa Blanchard and Kaylee Ray are. I mean, theoretically, the only woman in this match who really deserved to be booed based on their first round performance was Marty. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. They booed everybody, though. They just wanted to see Jazzy get in there and murder somebody. And I, that's fair. Uh, and I agree. Maybe you come down a little hard on her partners. But, I mean, Jabby was basically... Jabby, wow. Jazzy was basically the second, <laughs> second coming of Jimmy Christ here. <laughs> Clearly, I've been doing this too long. You guys talk. <laughs> so, Jabby the hut. So wait a minute. Are you saying that our first round match was actually Jabby versus Abby? Maybe. Damn it. <laughs> Maybe I am, Harry. Maybe I am. I think I think Patrick's just mad that he didn't think of that joke first. I was, I was thinking more the, along the lines of Jabby Gabbert. Or Abby Gabbert. Okay, see, I, w- I was going to make a stabby Jabby Gabbert reference, but I figured that was too far. All right, moving on. Um anyway. Back to the contest. Back to the contest in hand. Is this thing has completely gone off the rails about three minutes in? Not that that's a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to give credit where credit is due here. How about that commentary team? I mean, Tom Phillips and Nigel McGuinness working well together. You kind of had to expect. What about Beth Phoenix? I thought she was really impressive on commentary. I mean, shocker! She was interested in what was happening in the ring. Like that's. I, <laughs> What is that like? I, I would you wouldn't know watching the Mae Young Classic uh, on the the network with Lita and them there. Like I mean, Lita was certainly you know I guess sort of involved in the action, but she didn't have that same I guess poise that uh, I thought Breath brought that really made this interesting. Yeah, I I can understand, and I think it was Harry uh, himself who said you know because I even questioned I was like why in the hell was Beth Phoenix not. Uh, on the commentary team for the entire tournament. I believe it was Terry who, who said Lita's the bigger name. Um, it's gotten to the point now that that might be arguable because I think Beth Phoenix at least held her own in terms of being the biggest name that they had when she worked for the company. And maybe she didn't have the major crossover appeal, but it seems like there's now more respect given to Beth than there is to Lita. Granted, Lita and a live mic are not exactly best friends, but I would have absolutely loved and would love to see Beth Phoenix on the call if they ever do this turn or this style again, mm-hmm. because I thought she did great for doing watch and I thought she well, blew away Lita. Well, allow me to clarify the statement that I made, because it was me that responded that Lita was the bigger name to me. I'm always going to prefer Beth over Lita. It is what it is there. I've I've always been a way bigger fan of Beth Phoenix than I was Alita, even going back to Beth's OVW days. That being said, I think to the casual mainstream fan that might be watching this tournament on the network, I think that they're going to see Lita's name attached to it and care far more than they are if they would have seen Beth Phoenix's name attached as the color commentator. That and uh, I, I believe Lita did a fair bit of work down in NXT as well, so uh, I, I think that's sort of... She might have been more familiar with at least the NXT folks, if not uh, the indies, the indie darlings in this as well. Dear God, I hope it wasn't promo class. I I, I highly doubt it was promo class. 
Yes. Did we see any moonsaults or thong reveals during the course of the Mae Young Classic? I do not believe so. Uh, I don't believe they do that anymore, Harry, but... Well, they don't do moonsaults? Well, that's a damn shame. I mean, we got well, a 450 I mean, splash. <laughs> I was more and referring to the thong I- thing, but... And may I add what a 450 splash it was, but we'll talk more about that a little bit later on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so let's go ahead and we'll just jump into the finale there because that's really all that came out of Monday other than a bunch of video packages. Um, and they do a lot of Triple Oh, yeah. We, do you can guys we, want to talk about Triple H's we, thing? Yeah, I kind of feel like we have to based on the fact that Triple H said that the very first thing that they that Triple H said in regards to them chanting, please sign Jazzy, he's like, yeah, you guys did that to me at the Cruiserweight Classic and cost me a bunch of money. <laughs> I won't lie. I I I had to pause the video because I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> that I, I I can't lie. That line popped me as well. But that being said, I think despite the fact that the rumors of fewer contracts being given out at the Mae Young Classic here, I do believe that there are some women who did deserve to get deals out of this, and I feel like that's a topic that we should touch on a little bit later on. Absolutely. I just didn't know if you guys wanted to just specifically talk anymore. Uh, Triple H, obviously, he comes out, he thanks the fans for being here. Uh, for and he, he makes this feel like a more momentous occasion than anybody on commentary ever did, too, about this being a very big deal. They're breaking glass ceilings. They're giving women uh, here and everywhere really an opportunity to feel like they can reach that big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, as he said. Well, not to mention, too, when you look about it, there was no real way for women to get into the WWE other than those individual tryouts. This right here is an opportunity to showcase their skills in ring over an extended series of days. I mean, granted, it was only two days of taping the matches, but there everybody was down there for like a week working at the Performance Center. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, you have no idea. I was just about to say, Patrick could attest to that much better than I can, given the fact that Shimmer was the weekend prior to these tapings, and he knew for a fact that several of the ladies that were involved in this tournament immediately left after the Sunday afternoon volume of Shimmer being taped in order to get to Orlando for the uh, May Young Classic days at the Performance Center. Okay, so to, to, to kind of touch on that a little bit real quick before we even get to the final... You have absolutely no idea how cleared out that place was by the time the main event of Shimmer Volume 95 started. And the, the funny thing about it is three out of the four people involved in the main event had to immediately, and it was literally immediately, I think the Shimmer Volume ended around 6.45, give or take, and... From what I remember, because I'm, I'm, you know, very friends with uh, Shimmer promoter Dave Prezak, and he basically didn't shut up about it. Um, I think he said everybody was on the same flight, and it was an eight thirty or eight forty five flight to Orlando to get everybody there then, so that everyone could start working the following day uh, with promo work and and shooting, you know, the vignette everything. So they literally left. And had to get to Midway Airport, which is about 20 minutes away from the Berwyn Eagles Club, in a matter of basically under two hours between the end to the main event and everyone getting out of there. So, yeah, they literally had to leave that night. It's the first time that it's ever happened. Incredible. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, and I can't even begin to imagine all the, the work that they had to put in to make sure this thing flew across those two days. So hats off to everybody there for sure. Uh, and unless there's anything else you guys want, go ahead. Except Kevin Dunn. Screw him. Yeah, fuck him. Uh, for sure. Uh, so fuck let's talk about... Asshole. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So let's finally talk about this finale that we've been building up to for the past uh, four or five episodes now. Uh, Lots of video packages. You have Renee Young at the top of the ramp, pretty much uh, escorting us around until she tosses it to JR and Lita. Uh, You get shots of all the stars. You get, like, you have glow people here, which I thought was pretty cool. Both the four horsewomen factions are here. Uh, Asuka's there. All sorts of people. Except Sasha. I don't Again. know why Sasha's not at these shows. Uh, because she on her way to New Zealand? Maybe. I, I know that's why she I wasn't w- at the original tapings when she was doing the European tour. Uh, I believe she was in Asia, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I was going to make a joke about not wanting to shake anybody's hands, but I feel that would be redundant at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I know a handful of wrestlers, I think, are on their way to New Zealand or Australia, somewhere in the Oceanic Territory. I think she may have been part of that group, because that's part of the reason why Enzo was not on 205. He was on his way there, too. Mm. Plus, I mean, there's the fact that nobody really there wants Enzo on the roster uh, anyway, so... Right. <laughs> they're, they're, they're actually planning on leaving Enzo in Australia, <laughs> and just hoping nobody notices. Oh, he'll just charter a private jet back anyway. He a big money guy. Anyway. Maybe let a dingo eat him. Uh, we get to uh, see some of the competitors here as well. Uh, chiefly Candice LeRae, Tony, Storm, Viper, and uh, Tessa, if I remember correctly. Mercedes. Mercedes, my bad. Sorry. Um Mostly, I was just surprised to see Tony Storm and Viper there since they're still competing in the Stardom's five-star Grand Prix. So, nice of them to be there. Um, What's up with that outfit Tony Storm was rocking? Living the five-star life. If she, if she does come into NXT, she's coming in as the new Godfather, apparently. How many animals died for that jacket? <laughs> At least one. Probably more than one, Paul. <laughs> at least one. I can guarantee you at least one. See my vest? See my vest? Made from real gorilla chest. No? Quality Simpsons no? reference right. there. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'm with you. Uh, Kyrie Sane taking on Shayna Baszler here in the main event. 12 minutes-ish, uh, if I had to put a number on it. 12.02, according to Larry. Okay. Uh, great stuff here. I thought it, it it was a very simple match. Baszler controls the opening. Kyrie Sane makes the comeback. They tease it a little bit till finally Kyrie gets the win with the big elbow. I I enjoyed that that head kick Baszler hit early was particularly brutal. Um, just want to say I thought the storytelling in this match was fantastic. Mm. You could definitely tell there were some nerves between the two ladies here, but I think a lot of that has to do with this being a very large crowd and the first time they've been live in this entire tournament and the first time Kyrie's been live in front of an audience, in front of an actual audience with rolling cameras rather than having the benefits of tape of editing like they had for the uh, the MYC at Full Sail. 
So you could definitely see some nurse here, but I really dug the story that they told here, and I thought that it was really smart for uh, for them to have Kyrie work over the ribs of Shayna in order to be able to get out of that rear naked choke, out of the Karafuda. Get soon, Hyde. I mean, I, I, I won't it was the best match of the entire tournament. However, I thought, yeah, I thought it was a very, very good match. Um, some of the strikes that they were catching each other with, just ow, mm-hmm. ow, you know, stuff and stuff that that would make Mercedes Martinez proud because she has one of the hardest chops ever. I I know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was yeah. really good to see them. Or hang on, you you wait. Um, <laughs> it was awesome to see that they did include a little bit of story in there, you know, with with. Uh, Shayna going after Kyrie's elbow, but Kyrie going after Shayna's ribs, and and it actually playing a part. Um, I thought the entire thing was actually a very very good match. Okay, back to what I was going to say specifically when you mentioned the strikes there. That back fist that Kyrie threw towards the end of the match landed super flush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to get hit by it. I'll have to see how Shayna's doing during one of her Twitch streams. <laughs> Just a big bruise over her face. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, so I got to ask you, Patrick, because I know you've been kind of outspoken about this throughout the entire time we've been doing the Mae Young Classic here thing. Um, do you like the fact that they actually had the build-up to the elbow with the rib work over? done by Kyrie here. Did that make it a little bit more palatable to you for that elbow drop finish? I... You're taking what I've been saying but spinning it the wrong way. I just don't like the look of her elbow. Got nothing to do with working on... It's got nothing to do with working on ribs or anything. I just don't like the way the way it looks when she does it. Uh think to me that this was the best looking one that she hit, thank god. But, yeah, I felt the storytelling going into everything was very good. Yeah, I mean, I think the storytelling is definitely what keeps you invested in the match going through, because definitely while they were making their entrances, it felt like the crowd could care less, and they dragged them kicking and screaming into getting into everything they were doing by the end, which was just... Phenomenal work by these two ladies uh, to to do just that, if you ask me. Uh, whether the work rate or not was to your standard or what you were expecting. I ultimately secondary to drawing in a crowd who very few, if if even half the audience, even knew who both of them were. And by the end, they certainly did care. Yeah, I was going to point that out as well, that I was very impressed by their ability to drag this crowd into the match. Because, as Paul mentioned, they were damn near silent for the entrances. And by the end of the match, most of that building was going crazy for what was going on inside of the ring. So kudos to both women for the ability to tell the story that was enchanting enough, enticing enough, I guess I should say, to get that relatively mild crowd into the match. Mm-hmm. Would would you say by the end they were going insane? No. 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 No, I would not. Uh, So moving past that, that. you shouldn't be. Can can we kick him out and just do the rest of the review ourselves, Paul? No, we can't. (laughs) I bring the ratings. Uh, uh, no, you don't, clearly. <laughs> Paul's involved on two much higher rated shows on this network. 
Uh, so, fun fact, according to ESPN's WWE Twitter feed, Triple H made it official that Kyrie Sane will be competing for the NXT Women's title at the NXT TakeOver Special on November 18th, which is still I, slated to take place in Houston. Whether that changes or not, I don't know. Um, don't make the joke, Patrick, because I know you're thinking about making it. Do not make the joke. I won't. Okay, good. Um, Paul knows it already, too. Yeah, so. I do. <laughs> Not, uh, I, I can't say I disagree with this. I think that this is the best way to do this here. Have the winner of the Mae Young Classic take on a winner of a mini-tournament on NXT television throughout the tapings that are set to take place on Thursday now. You can do an eight-woman tournament on NXT television to build up a challenger for Kyrie for the, uh, the TakeOver Houston special. I mean, yeah, it's kind of, and I mean, you could make the argument, you know, it's two tournament winners, and we find out, like, an ultimate champion person holding the NXT uh, Women's Championship. So, I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't mention any title stipulations or anything like that, but I think at the same time, I feel like maybe they did that so that it wouldn't seem so obvious. Because I think, I think most everybody and one of them picked Kyrie Saint to win the whole thing since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think they wanted to make it super obvious at the end who was going to win because you know, as far as I know right now, Shane is not signed. Kyrie is. So if they're putting a title shot on or a title. It's gonna kind of set in stone winning. I think they wanted to leave a little bit of question to it, and and I mean I thought they did a, you know a very good job with that. So, but it's no surprise to see you'll get an NXT Women's Championship match at NXT Takeover in November. I would honestly go as far to say that I think it'll be the hometown Texas girl against Kyrie Sane, and they're going to do Ember Moon versus Kyrie Sane at Takeover Houston. Close. I would. I get what you mean. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if it does end up being Ember, uh, just because you're right. Home state, at least hometown. She always claims Dallas, so take that, Harry. But uh, uh, you know, well, Dallas backslash St. Louis backslash Cleveland backslash right. a bunch backslash. of others. Yeah, yeah. Um, I. I I've been talking about this on the NXT shows where I kind of wanted them to do a tournament on NXT, as you were just mentioning, Harry, to face the winner of the Mae Young Classic. I don't know if I'm as surprised as not uh, as you are that they did mention it, though, just because it felt like as far as the presentation went for the finale here, it was very much about keeping the focus on Kyrie Sane and Shayna Baszler. And yes, they mentioned a lot of other things like both the Four Horsewomen factions and their little interactions that they had throughout the tournament. But it, I was really expecting a standoff between those two factions at the end to kind of overshadow the whole thing, and they didn't do that. It was very much focused on Kyrie won, here's your big presentation, here's the match. It's it, This, to me, felt like the biggest part of the entire tournament. And to that end, even though it doesn't, I don't know if I would still say it feels special, this definitely felt like it meant something, and at least there was that. <laughs> Well, I think the the cool thing, too, is the fact that since it uh, happened after SmackDown, even though the best part about it is, is with them being on the West Coast, it was still only 7 o'clock in that building. Right. So, theoretically, that crowd should have been more involved in this match than they were. 
Um, I think that a lot of people were wondering why this didn't come from Full Sail, and I think the obvious answer to that is because it would have been 10 o'clock Eastern by the time this would have come live from Full Sail tonight, and that's just not feasible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there was the original plan of if they didn't want to do it in Vegas, then you do it during the NXT tapings, you know, which would have been originally tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a lot of things went wrong there, namely Hurricane Irma, you know, pretty much completely shot that idea dead. But I, to me, it just, it still doesn't feel like it had the same gravitas that CWC had. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, some, I'm trying to think of how long of a celebration uh, TJ Perkins had after he won. It longer than, like, two minutes. This, to me, while, yes, the match was great and, and it was awesome to see everybody and Stephanie McMahon dressing as Seth Rollins for Halloween a little too early, but to me, it just it felt like a normal TV show going off the air at the end. It didn't feel as special. It took everything in me not to shout burn it down when you said that. <laughs> I, I dare anybody to try and prove me wrong. About what? No, that there's no need to make look like something Seth Rollins would wear. Oh, but okay. just, there's n- you get what I mean. No need to make this show about Stephanie. She does a fine enough job of that on her own. <laughs> Moving on. It's true. Uh, so that that wraps up the entire tournament. Uh, I, we've done a couple overviews of stuff as we've gone through the rounds and through the episodes, uh, and we just sort of talked about whether this felt special or not. Uh, and, and to that end, uh, like I mentioned, I thought Kyrie, at least that moment, felt like it did mean something, even though I don't think the overall tournament didn't have the specialness that, that uh, Patrick was talking about either. But I don't know, like them getting this sort of dedicated 30 minutes. First off, I, I kind of wish it was longer because I wanted to see some of the other ladies again, but that was, I guess, just bound to not happen with this being on a Tuesday and them still having to do a full hour of 205 Live afterwards. But uh, Why? I don't know. Yeah, I don't see how Gallagher's heel turn was important enough that this episode of 205 Live couldn't have been done next week instead. Or even, okay, if the May Young Classic final got a half hour, give 205 the last half hour and you still put it into a three-hour box. Just say, hey, it's a special 30-minute edition, and you essentially Mm -hmm. roughly do the same. uh, You do the same thing with 205 that you did with May Young Classic. You only do one match and you just hype it up. Granted, both of the matches kind of, you know, were important for 205, but, or even go 45 and 45. That way you can smash both matches in 205, and you can probably mm-hmm. get two matches done in the May Young Classic. You have one, you know, uh, exhibition match, and then the final. Mm-hmm. Granted, 45 minutes is, you know, kind of a weird time frame, but I think it would have made it feel a little better. Once we found out that it was going live after SmackDown, I think they were kind of screwed as far as multiple matches go. 
Yeah. If they would have done this as a special live event from Full Sail, had that been an option, then I think that that's something that you could have done where you could postpone a week of the NXT taping, uh, a week of the NXT airing, and done like an 8 to 10 for the finals of the, of the women's of the Mae Young Classic here. Much the same way the finals of the CWC were was, I believe, two hours as well. Yeah, it was because the semis and the finals and the there was the one extra match. Right. Uh, D- I was cr- I was informed of this by I think it was Paul DIY versus Alexander and Noam Dar I believe. Yes, and it was me. <laughs> I was about to say yeah, I don't remember telling you that, but I might have. <laughs> it, well, it was, for all the things me. For, for, for all the things we haven't given him credit for tonight, can we let him have this one? <laughs> oh yay! <laughs> I matter. Yay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Shut up, Harry. You don't. Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) I I don't really know what there's super amount of this really left to cover. I mean, it's all said and done. What, uh, I mean, what are your takeaways? I mean, does anything stick out to you as maybe something to look forward to on NXT television moving forward? Does anything stick out to you maybe that we should look forward to on the main roster outside of the usual stuff that we've talked about throughout the entire tournament? Well, we've already seen one of the women from the Cruiserweight Classic move over to NXT with Zeta. I may young classic, but okay. What? Whatever. (laughs) Sorry. It's, it's, It's been a long night. This is my third podcast tonight. But anyways... Um, it's we've already seen one of the women from the Mae Young Classic move over to NXT, and that's Zeta. She mm-hmm. debuted this past week on NXT television. That's true. And I actually think that they may have something with Zeta. She has a very unique look. She has an appeal. She kind of reminds me to an extent of the woman that Patrick and I covered with Rise in Shotzi Blackheart. If not quite as polished. Yeah, I, not quite as polished in a, in a very different gimmick, for sure. But I'm, I, I, as far I, I, as I understand what Harry, I, I understand what Harry is saying, though, and and I do agree. I mean, as far as the look and the appeal, though. Okay, yeah, that that I can give you. As gimmick wise, as far as character, like they're night and day. <laughs> um, I think that the hope is that she can be kind of like this generation's version of Gail Kim. Okay. Hopefully treated better by WWE, though. And more motivated not to quit in the middle of a battle royal? Absolutely. Twice. Um, all right, I'll, I'll ask a question then, since nobody else is going to ask one. Uh, who oh, is the one... Wo- wait, 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 no. Real quick, real quick, real quick. My, my takeaway is... From those that we know are in NXT, the NXT women's division is in very, very good hands. Mm-hmm. You know, just the ones that we know for certain. Uh, Zeta, Bianca Belair, um, Zeely maybe needs a little bit of work, but, you know, has at least the basics down. Dakota Kai, Abby Leigh, Sarah Logan, I know I'm missing a couple, but it's it's clear that generation of the NXT women's division is in is going to be in their hands and it's in very very good hands so this might be the deepest roster that the NXT women's division has ever had Mm -hmm. Rhea Ripley 
said I knew I was forgetting a couple. <laughs> yeah, but I, I've been harping on her all tournament, and then you forgot her. It was sad. All right. Um, who is the one woman that isn't currently under WWE contract that you would most like to see get a deal with the WWE out of this? Jesse Gabbard does not count because she's clearly getting a deal. Uh, I think we talked about this on our last episode too, but for sure, uh, I'll bring up Santana Garrett all night and day. Like she, if she didn't have a contract waiting for her after her match with Viper in the first round, I I don't know what they're not seeing out there. She, she's she has everything that they're looking for. She's the look. She's got the skill. She's ready for for prime time for sure. Well, um, prime time, prime time that isn't on Spike TV anyway. Right. Patrick. So prime time. So prime time. Oh wow. Ouch. Okay. Um Tony Storm. Mm. Either, either I'm gonna cheat a little bit. Either Tony Storm or Piper Nevin. Um I think the two of them both had absolutely outstanding showings. Piper going in essentially with a chip on her shoulder with all the people fat shaming her. And Tony, I think, went in with a little bit of push because of the fact that WWE is working with progress and she holds the belt. So it's kind of like, oh, of course she's going to be there. Um, but the both of them more than held their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I had to make a choice between the two, I'd probably say Tony Storm. I think she's got, you know, that absolute rock star look. As we mentioned, how many animals had to die for her jacket tonight? Um, so, but she she is. The absolute total package. Mm-hmm. And if she does not have a contract, the minute she loses the Progress Women's Championship, um, if she does not have one, I would be shocked. I think for me, it's going to be somebody else who I feel like would be a complete package down in NXT. And honestly, I believe could help the main roster out as well with her name value. And that would be Mia Yim. Because I feel like the charitable work that she's done with the Put a Nail in It campaign for Safe Horizons, as well as the, the just the overall general story that Mia has, plus her abilities inside of the ring. And she's actually a surprisingly good promo when given the opportunity. TNA did not give her a ton of mic time, but she shined when she did get mic time. So I'm going to say Mia Yim is my... My uh, official request from the women that we don't we know aren't currently under contract. Mm. If you had to guess, how many women do you think ended up with deals out of this tournament? Uh, boy, four, maybe. Are we not Patrick? counting those that are? Are we not counting those that definitely already had deals? Yes, we're yeah. not counting them. If they already have a developmental uh, deal, they don't count in this conversation. Then I would say six. I'm more likely to go with Paul here because as much as I would like to see Piper Niven signed, I don't believe that she was. She would be as one of my as well. As much as I would like to see Piper signed, I don't think she was. Um, I feel like as soon as Tony drops the Progress Women's title, she's starting in NXT. I feel like Jazzy Gabbard is going to fill out her uh, her current contracted independent dates, and then she's on her way to NXT. I feel like... Um, 
who else was I thinking? Uh, I would hope that San- that Paul's right about Santana Garrett as well. I'm really hoping Mia gets a chance. Like seriously hoping Mia gets a chance. I was also real quick. I was yeah. also going to. It's essentially the five you just said. Um, I was also going to include Serena, if nothing else, to work on TV for a little bit, maybe lose a title match, and then move on to become a coach down at NXT. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I do th- they really? Oh, go ahead, Paul. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I think the only one you guys are missing that probably did walk away with a contract from this is Candice LeRae. Uh, Candice probably walked out with one. I would say Jazzy definitely did, especially after the six-woman tag. Uh, Santana. And then it, it's probably a crapshoot between a lot of other women there, uh, for sure, who walked away with deals. Just because there's so many others, I feel like that they're okay with them letting continue on the developmental scene for now without having to fork out the cash for them now rather than maybe later when they have some more free capital. Not to mention, I would I would make the argument that women's independent professional wrestling is more lucrative than men's independent professional wrestling is too. So there are women that no. there are women that there no. are women that were but let me finish my statement and then you can speak. There are women that were in this tournament that are probably making more than a reasonable income on the independent circuit as compared to what they would be making in developmental. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that would certainly apply to Candice, who is just so in demand everywhere she goes, uh, even outside of just women's promotions. So uh wouldn't shock me if she maybe said no, but I feel like this might be where she wants to be right now. It's the only reason why I would say she took the deal. All right, Patrick, what were you about to say there? Nothing. It sounded like you were trying to cut me off while I was in the middle of uh, saying what I was saying about women's independent professional wrestling being more lucrative. I was seriously legitimately coughing. Sorry. Oh, mute your microphone, sucker. (laughs) It kind of just popped up on me. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. I thought he was trying to cut me off. I was in the middle of making my point there. My bad. I, I do apologize. I feel like that's about as good a note to any as to end this on. Yeah, I can't think of anything unless you guys want to talk about the, maybe the the just like maybe fresh out of performance center people like Tanera Conti or all or all of them. But I felt like we gave them a fair shine during the first round discussion as well. So unless Patrick has yeah. any more questions, I can't really think of anything. All right, I've got I've got one fun tidbit that got shared with me. That made me chuckle when uh, Mr. Brazak told me this. I talked, you know, at AAW, my local promotion, shortly after the tapings. He was brought down there to kind of overthink, and because of the fact that, you know, he was kind of responsible for the tournament field, he had no choice but to laugh when. Several of the producers, not Triple H, but like several of the other people, flat out asked him if the if a bunch of the wrestlers, knowing that they were going to be taping multiple rounds per day at at some, he had no choice but to laugh when several of the producers asked if the women would be able to wrestle multiple matches in one day. <laughs> he told me that he he. 
he apologized for laughing in the almost two straight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, to his credit, I probably would have laughed longer. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because um, Dave is a goddamn professional. It's true. God damn it, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> We're just about to say that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and he and he just he just looks at the guy and goes, "Yeah, I'd say a few of them are able to do that." <laughs> Considering that half that field had just finished wrestling four matches and some four matches in two days, and so and I think a couple of them were five matches in three days. Unbelievable. Yeah, it shows how much they just don't pay attention sometimes. No, they real. That's the thing, though. A lot of times, though, they don't. The producers for them don't care about what you've done before. It's 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 the exact philosophy that a lot of people talk about. What you did before you got to the WWE doesn't mean anything. Literally days before, like literally days before. The point remains, though. I know. The point. Oh, I know. Uh, well, I mean, I guess that's going to do it for us. So if you guys want to plug wait, anything. I, I got one more. I got oh, one more quick right. question. Go. Yeah. If we do see a 2018 version of the May Young Classic, who are some names that weren't in this year's tournament that you'd like to see in next year's? Oh, boy. Um, I, I think I can, a lot of the alternates that were probably scheduled for this I, show. Just about to say a couple of them myself. Yeah. Absolutely. Just. Jessica James and Nicole Matthews immediately spring to mind. Mm. I was going to go with Deanna Perrazzo as well, who's just making waves up in the Northeast right now, too. Uh, Deanna can't decide what promotion she wants to work for, though. One week she's in ROH, the next week she's in TNA, the next week she's on NXT, the next week she's back in Ring of Honor. Then she does a tour in stardom, and then she goes to Europe, and she's just working everywhere, which is awesome. Uh, if we're going to talk about Ring of Honor and the Women of Honor, I love. Um, uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name right now. God, I look dumb. Andy, uh, Andy Leon? No, not her. <laughs> uh, the Gatekeeper. Kelly Klein. Kelly Klein, thank you. I think she's got a ton of potential. Uh, absolutely still. I, I think she's really good in the ring. She's got a long way to go still. She's still kind of new to the business, but I think she'd be uh, a wonderful get for this as well. Patrick? Um, geez, I've got so many damn names flowing through my head right now. Shazam uh, McKenzie flew through my head, too. She was probably one of the people that got the most backlash for not even being an alternate, like mm-hmm. to the point that there were actual, um, there were actual, um, petitions, like online, like online petitions. People want her in the tournament, and she said that like thirty-two plus four alternates, and she was so that's thirty-six, and she was like number thirty-seven or thirty-eight on the list. Oh, it wow. was like that. Um. I think there were like six alternates actually because it was I believe they did a six woman alternate person tag match the night on night two of the tapings well but the the point being that she was like one or first one left yeah Yeah. um 
Chez McKenzie, I think, was a surprise to a lot of people. Um, I would say I said Veda Scott. Um, Veda makes sense I, too. I would say also Jordan Grace. I think I think Jordan has come a very very long way, and I think could could have at least one or two good matches in the tournament. I'm not saying win the whole thing, but I think she would be able to have a, a couple very very good matches. Um, there's, there's just, there's a whole host that I think just aren't, aren't I've got a couple yet that I think in the next year could, could be big enough for something like this. I've got a couple of names that sprung to mind for me as well that I kind of wanted to share in addition to the two alternates that I mentioned in Jessica James and Nicole Matthews. Um, the first one, and this is a little bit of a Homer selection. I'm going to be the first person to say this would be Zoe Sky, the former angel dust. Because I feel like she is one of the most underrated, underrated women's performers in the world right now. And I genuinely feel like she's going to have a breakout year this year. Starting to, She's making her, English de- her debut in England this weekend. In addition to all of the traveling that she's doing with the Rise promotion and with Shimmer now. And with working for Bellatrix and WAW this weekend. I so I'm... Oh, sorry, I was going to say, ironically, that British debut this weekend is with Rats. Um, we saw uh, Mia Yim and Marty Bell this year from TNA. Obviously, their TNA contracts are up. I'm really hoping that come next year, when, if they decide to do the Mae Young Classic again, that Courtney Rush, a.k.a. Rosemary's TNA contract, the GFW contract is up and she's able to be a part of it. Because mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel like Courtney Rush deserves bigger and better than what GFW can provide her. No arguments here. Not and then, one. and then I think the third name that I would probably toss out there is Sue Young, mm. because I believe that she would have that appeal towards that demographic, similar to as Zeta or Mia Yim would have had. Sue Young's tricky for me. I, I enjoy her work. She's just she's a very different brand of wrestler, and uh, that. She's I don't willing to kill people. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I don't think she could have the gimmick that she currently has doing this tournament. Yeah, that would be my concern. She would have to go more back towards her days when she was in in Shine, mm-hmm. teaming with Tracy Taylor as the West Coast Connection. Right, right. So, real quick, if you're gonna mention people that are currently under contract elsewhere. And, you know, the idea of a contract being up by the time of the next tournament, then I would include cheerleader Melissa. I've given up hope that we'll ever see Melissa in a WWE ring. I'd love to see it, but I don't think it'll ever happen. That's just one of those Christopher Daniels situations, whereas Daniels had a cup of coffee as one of the conquistadors. I don't think Melissa's ever going to get the opportunity. And I think Melissa's kind of made peace with that as well. Did you ever think we'd see Mercedes Martinez? Okay, that is a very valid yeah. point, but at the same time, I think if Melissa ends up going to the WWE, it would be more in the Sarah Amato role as a trainer. God help those trainees. <laughs> God. America. Uh, that's, uh, Paul, that's that's American strong style right there, sir. No doubt about it. <laughs> Uh, if we're going to keep tossing out names, too, I'm a big fan of Jenny from Progress, too. I think she could do pretty well in a tournament like this, too. 
Yeah, we talked about her when we did our review of Chapter 36 on Wrestling Unwrapped. We mentioned that her and Nixon Noel were the two standouts of that match there. And uh, Nixon Noel has a deal, so I would imagine Jenny might not be far behind her. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, how much longer she's going to want to stick around over there in that scene because Progress has big things coming up on the horizon for sure. Um, That's an understatement. Absolutely an understatement. But <laughs> uh, unless you guys want to keep on talking, we uh, we can cut to the plugs. I'm good. All right, yeah, go ahead and plug away. You want to go first or second, Patrick? Well, since you offered, I'll go. I'll kick off in the second half. <laughs> You'll defer. Okay. Um, you can listen to myself, Stephen Err, and Brandon Bisco being here on the W2M Network as we present the kickoff. Traditionally, Wednesdays or Thursdays, depending on when it gets posted, usually Wednesday night, Thursday morning. We break down everything college football and NFL related. We give you our preview for the week to come. We talk about the week that was. And it's basically an alternate variety to what uh, Sean and the guys do on Football to the Max. Just another look at uh, all things football related there for that. So that's myself, Stephen Err, and Brandon Biscabing on the kickoff here on the W2M Network. Patrick? And you can also hear Harry and myself do Wrestling Unwrapped, usually Sunday or Monday, depending on when it gets posted. We are finally caught up on episodes, all of our August 1998 pay-per-views, along with our two most recent episodes, Rise 1, Ignite, and our newest, First Wrestling's WrestlePalooza, and then be on the lookout as Harry and I go into the Wayback Machine, all the way back to the night of the first Royal Rumble, NWA's counterpart to that with the Bunkhouse Stampede. Technically what Patrick said, but flipped. The Royal Rumble was the counterpart to the Bunkhouse Stampede. This was the NWA's first attempt on pay-per-view, and Vince decided to screw with them just the same way that NWA had screwed with WrestleMania 4. It sounded better with what we were actually covering going second. Sorry. (laughs) I was trying. Well, you failed. It's okay. Lesson learned. Paul, you're just glad to be done with us. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've uh, honestly, I've had a great time doing the show with you guys, uh, <laughs> but there is a small part of me that's like, God, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to listen to this very much longer. <laughs> we, we, we bicker like an old married couple. We're aware of it. It's, it's too true. Uh, which you can find all of that over there in the Wrestling Unwrapped show that Patrick just talked about because they do that a lot. Uh, I, I do Wrestling the Max, though. That's the other half of this show. Uh, I, we do all sorts of reviews for all the WWE shows, 205 Live, SmackDown, which me and Harry just did tonight, as well as I do Raw and NXT with Gary. And then, of course, we have our main episodes every Tuesday and Friday on the download, waiting for you there, uh, where we talk about all sorts of news and stuff like that, as well as review ROH and GFW and Lucha Underground while it still exists. And hopefully we'll continue to exist uh, even though we just kind of hoped it did about ten minutes ago. So, uh, <laughs> may I, may I, may I do the wrap up here? Go for it, buddy. All right. So, for the man without a nickname, Patrick Ketza, and the goddamn professional Paul Leeser, <laughs> I'm the usual suspect, Harry Broadhurst. Thanks for listening to the May Young Classic here on Wrestling Unwrapped to the Max on the W2M Network. 
The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment.